Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. Revelation, the study of the end of days, or is it really just the beginning? And you know the answer to that. I do believe it's just the beginning. You know, we sang uh, some lyrics in Hawaiian this morning. Thank you, Mark and Scott. And I think we should take a moment, uh, since this is our prayer time, to pray for all the victims of the volcano and the people in Hawaii. Shall we pray real quick? Father God, we just lift up, Lord, all those that are being affected by the volcano in Hawaii. And God, I pray that you would um, help them find safe refuge, safe passage, that you would protect life and even property, Lord. We know many have, have lost their property. If they're your kids, God, I pray that you would supernaturally provide for them. I just pray that you would just be with them and draw them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. What in the world's going on? You see, many people in the world, even atheists, are wondering what is happening in the world? Have you sensed it? Have you felt it? You know, there's been another school shooting just this past week. This map up here shows school shootings from 2013 to 2018. Now, some of those were just a single shot. Some of those were actually a kid snuck a gun on campus and uh, uh, fired uh, without him trying to shoot anybody. It just automatically fired somehow. But wow, people all over the world are saying, what in the world is going on? You know, the Bible tells us that, and the book of Revelation gives us really a blueprint or history for the future. But in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, But realize this, in the last days, what? Difficult times will come. Do you think we're there? I mean, it seems it's getting more difficult all the time. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful and unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good. And that's just recently that people became haters of good. I, I used to wonder, well, why would people hate good? If it's good, what's to hate? treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, maybe even claiming to be Christians, but what? They denied its power, avoid such men as these. What is the power that enables us to live a successful Christian life that fills us with the fruit of the Holy Spirit? We're going to talk about that, and today we're going to cover two verses since it's Pentecost Sunday, but Turn to Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 9. I believe that it's important we go slow and methodically through this book so we have a complete understanding. I don't want to rush over anything. Does that make sense? Too often people read the Bible and they don't understand something and they just keep reading. I would encourage you, stop, figure out what it is. But Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 it says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Right away, John does something very amazing in this text. In verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker. It's interesting he didn't say the beloved apostle of Christ. You know what I mean? He wasn't tooting his horn. He wasn't claiming to be some big guy. Hey, I'm just your brother and fellow what? Partaker in what? The tribulation. It's interesting to me that right away, the question of when does the rapture occur in the book of Revelation, already in the first nine verses, it's already been clarified for us. Did you see it? It's fellow partaker in the rapture. Uh, tribulation, the kingdom and perseverance, which are in Christ. John believed that they were already in the tribulation. Are you with me? So he didn't think that, man, the tribulation that I'm writing about, wow, that's, that's going to happen right now. The, all the apostles, in fact, that's why Paul wrote, hey, if you're not married, don't desire to be married. Be single because what? He believed we were in the last days. 
that difficult times were definitely going to come. In fact, John wrote that he expected to see the Antichrist. Do you know that? In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, he said, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, and the idea there in the Greek is, is coming and you will see him. The idea is, this is an expectation that you, church, are going to see this man. Even now, many antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that it's what? The last hour. He really believed. That's why in the book of Revelation, he said, man, I'm your fellow partaker in the tribulation. Partaker in the tribulation. But is it the tribulation, that period of time that we labeled as the last seven years? In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, it says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, it won't, is the inference. And he goes on to tell us that because we're successful with Christ. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in what? Tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, and do not fear what you are about to suffer. This is written to the church. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, and you will be tested or tried or undergo tribulation for 10 days. Hmm. Revelation 7, 14, I said to him, my Lord, you know, and he said, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Do you think that's the church? We're going to read it in context later. Who are the ones that come out of the great tribulation? First, turn to Matthew 24 in your Bibles, starting at verse 9. And we know just to lay the path here in Matthew, the disciples said, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming, speaking of the rapture, and the end of the age? And he said, man, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. See to it, you're not frightened. Many will come in my name saying, I'm, I am the Christ, verse 5. Then there's wars. By the way, that's first seal, second seal, wars, third seals, famine, earthquakes, fourth seal, death by all these things. Fifth seal, the Christian martyrs. In verse 9, it says this. Then they will deliver you to what? What does your, your version say? Tribulation. And will kill you and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. Folks, that's only Christians. At that time, many will fall away. What's the falling away called? It's called the apostasy. At this time, when? When the church is hated by all nations and they begin to kill Christians. That's the fifth seal, the Christian martyrs. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. And the love of most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And this gospel will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. Skip down, if you would, to verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved but for the sake of the elect, who's the elect always in the New Testament? The church, always. For the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And then he says, man, if they say there's the Christ, we're the only ones that are going to be looking for Christ. If the rapture had already happened, as pre-tribulation scholars say, nobody would be looking for Christ at this moment. This is right at the midpoint of the 70th week. They would know they missed the rapture, and they know the next coming won't be for seven years. Nobody would be looking for Christ. But this is prior to the rapture of the church. If they say, Behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go there. Verse 27, For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is or body, hey, what did John say Jesus looked like in heaven right now? The lamb who was slain. Are you with me? The body of Christ. The, the, the Passover lamb. There the eagles, not vultures, will gather. Hey, they that wait upon the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. We will be raptured and gathered together to him. Amen? Hey, could someone let uh, these guys in at the back door? I think they're trying to get in. Is that Mike Wittick? 
I think they're walking around to the back. All right, verse 29. And here's how we know it's the rapture. But immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, this isn't the end of the tribulation. It's that great tribulation that those in Revelation chapter 7 are raptured out, resurrected out. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. What seal is that? The sixth seal. Absolutely. And it, exactly the sixth seal in Revelation chapter 6. Uh, the stars will fall from the sky. It's a meteor shower. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. This is the rapture. Second coming, the tribes of the earth are gathered at Megiddo to fight, not mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather together his elect, who's at the church, from one, the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. And remember, rapture, we all go up. If you're in China, you go down to us, but up to them. And... Then they have to be gathered to Christ in the sky. All right. So turn to Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Hey, guys. Good to see you. Yeah, there you go. The doors were locked. Yeah. <laughs> Revelation chapter 7. And this is right after the sixth seal. So if you go to chapter 6, you can read about the sun growing dark, the moon not giving its light, and Christ appearing in verse 16 of Revelation 6. Revelation 7, And after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds. But skip down to verse 9 of Revelation chapter 7. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, all tribes, peoples, tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the angels were standing around the throne around the elders and four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worship God skip down to verse 14 and I said to him my lord you know who these people are that came out of the great tribulation. He said, my Lord, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, Revelation uh, 7, 14, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day or night in his temple. Um, and he sits on the throne, will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer or thirst. The sun won't beat down the lamb, and they'll wipe every tear from their eyes. All right. So what we have there is that's clearly the rapture of the church. How do we know that? There's only two resurrections that, that have yet to be, occur. What, what are those? The first one is the rapture. There's going to be a resurrection. The second one, at the end of the millennial reign, everybody that isn't part of the church will be raised for final judgment. So those are the two resurrections that are left revelation chapter 1 verse 9 continuing back to our text i john your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and we just covered that and kingdom and perseverance which are in jesus was on the island called patmos because of the word of god and the testimony of jesus have you ever told someone not to pray for patience have you? Have you ever prayed for patience? What happens when you pray for patience? Hey, man, you're going to have lots of opportunities to be tested. You, every time you get in a line, I can assure you, the cash register is going to break down. She's going to need to replace the tape. Your line will be the slowest if you're trying to gain patience because God will give you the opportunity to do so. Amen? So don't pray for patience. <laughs> Just be patient. That would be better. It's the same with perseverance. In fact, we read in Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 3, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about what? Perseverance. Can you guys read that, or is it too small? Too small? I, I got to make it bigger. I keep forgetting. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to, to prayer and perseverance again according to strong's means what 
cheerful or hopeful endurance. It's not just enduring, woe is me, but it's cheerfully enduring. It's continuing your mission no matter what. Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's perseverance. Are you with me? So we can see in John, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, John says, hey, I'm your brother, fellow partaker in the tribulation, knowing that that's the one that Christ spoke about, that Paul spoke about, and Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, but the one who endures to the end, who perseveres to the end, he will be saved. You'll be hated by all because of my name, Mark chapter 13, verse 13, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Revelation 2.25, nevertheless, what you have done, hold fast or endure, complete the mission, stand your ground until I come. Verse 26 of Revelation chapter 2, he who overcomes or literally perseveres, completes the mission, keeps the faith, and keeps my word and deeds to the end, to him I'll give authority over the nations. Back to our text, Revelation 1.9. All right. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos. Patmos is about 30 miles off the coast of Ephesus. Uh, that's about how far Catalina is from Dana Point. It's about 32 miles from the coast. In fact, Catalina is about the size of the island of Patmos. It's not a big island. You can see it here. On the map, there's Ephesus, Patmos is right off the coast, about the same size as Catalina Island. Those are the seven churches. Yeah, it's almost the same shape as Catalina. It, there's San Clemente Island next to it now. <laughs> yeah, Patmos, that's kind of what it looks like. Um, anyway, according to tradition, uh, the Greeks and the Romans would send prisoners and exiles to many of these islands, and one of those was Patmos. Okay, they believed that uh, John was persecuted under uh, the Roman Emperor Domitian in 95 A.D. Now, we know tradition. Who knows what happened to John? Why did they exile him to Patmos instead of martyr him or kill him? Yeah, <laughs> tradition has it he wouldn't die. In fact. Uh, in Fox's Book of Martyrs, he traces it back, and they say that it, they actually put him in boiling oil, and he just like was taking a jacuzzi in it, and uh, he wouldn't die, so they exiled him to Patmos. They get, and by the way, the church tradition comes from what Christ said in John chapter 21, verse 22. Jesus said, if I want him, speaking of John, to remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die, speaking of John. Yet Jesus did not say to him, he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? All right. So John and everybody really thought, hey, I'm, I'm going to be alive when Jesus comes. They thought they were in the last days. In fact, John thought he was in the tribulation period already. And the Roman emperor, by the way, the Antichrist has to come out of the Roman uh, Empire. So the Roman Empire would be the Antichrist. And he was waiting for that day and actually looking forward to seeing it. God's word and testimony. This is why John was exiled. So in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Hmm. I think we need to spend some time there. John explains that those that hold to the testimony of Jesus and the word of God are the ones that are going to be raptured up. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. Is that why John was exiled? Yeah, exactly. And those who did not worship the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand, they came to life. What is that? A resurrection. There's only two left. 
rapture and the one at the uh, final judgment. So it has to be the rapture and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And we're going to cover that in depth later. But it's we who reigns with Christ for a thousand years. All right. Only two resurrections are left. So word and testimony. God's word is offensive to many. Have you ever been persecuted for quoting the Bible? Nowadays, it's going to become more frequent. In fact, there's many things in the Bible that they're trying to adjudicate now to uh, become hate speech. Uh, did you hear about that new bill in the California Senate where you uh, cannot uh, tell people that being gay or being one gender or the other is wrong and you can't publish any books that say that it's wrong? Guess what? This book says that it's wrong. In California, I believe, does anyone know? I haven't heard the latest. It had made it through the, the, uh, the assembly and was headed to the Senate last week when I heard last. Can you imagine? Now, what that will do is uh, the, the code that they did it in was the uh, commercial code or uh, where you can buy and sell things. So what it will do is prevent churches from selling the Bible. You could give it away and you couldn't be prosecuted. But if you sell it and it says homosexuality is wrong, they, they will prosecute you if this bill goes through. Isn't that amazing? More than that, counselors cannot counsel people to help them come out of a homosexual lifestyle into a normal uh, biblical lifestyle. It, it's against the law, if this goes through, to even provide counseling to do that. Folks, are we getting ready for the last days? I really believe so. It's crazy. The Word of God is a rock of offense to many. Someday it could be against the law to quote certain passages of Scripture. The testimony of Jesus, there is one way to God, not many, and that's what he said. In fact, John 18, 35, Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation, the chief priests, delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Then my servants would be, if my kingdom, oh, not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, that is small. I can't even read it with my glasses. <laughs> if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. You know, we become strangers and aliens when we're born again. Our citizenship belongs where? To the kingdom of God. So in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, John says, Hey, I, your brother, fellow partaker in the tribulation, the kingdom. Do we partake in the kingdom? Absolutely. Spiritually right now. Every time we receive communion, we're partaking in that uh, propitiation that Christ paid on the cross. He said, man, my kingdom is not of this realm. Verse 37, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So what is that truth? John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Amen. John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Men, we're told to wash our wives with the word of God, the truth of God's word uh, as we quote scripture to them. I, I, I encourage you guys, when you're doing your devotions, just find one verse and text it to your wife. Hey, read this. You know, what do you think? John 15, 26, when the helper comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. John 16, 7, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go away, I will send him to you. John 16, 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit kind of speak to your heart, that still small voice? You see, the Holy Spirit draws us to God, 
keeps us pursuing God, empowers us, gifts us with the many gifts of the Holy Spirit, and gives us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You think it's important? Remember the first verse I read this morning? We were looking at some of the disasters in the world. It said, man, in the last days, difficult times will come. And that passage ends with, and some will hold to a form of godliness, but they'll deny what? The power. The power is the Holy Spirit. And on this Pentecost Sunday, I believe it's important that we take some time to take about it. But Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. Let's do this one verse because I think it's important. Because John says, I was what on the Lord's day? In the Spirit. How many of you have ever been in the Spirit? I want you to think about that for a moment. Today is Pentecost Sunday. That's when Moses received the Ten Commandments, and it's when the church was born. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, However, you are not, what, in the flesh, but what? In the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So the question is this morning, are you in the Spirit? I believe we should walk in the Spirit. We should be led by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, those who are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. That the Holy Spirit desires to teach us, instruct us, gift us, and fill us with the good fruit of the spirit love joy peace all of that things what about during the week do you try to walk with god every day turn to romans chapter 8 starting in verse 5 right after acts Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not even subject itself to the law of God, and it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The birth of the church was the baptism of the Holy Spirit that was poured out on everybody in that upper room when they were waiting on Pentecost Sunday. They figured there was about 140 disciples in that room, not just the 12 apostles. We know a lot of interesting things happened that day, and we know a lot of interesting things happened at the giving of the law. So Shavuot is what Hebrews call Pentecost. Pente means five, it's 49 days, or the Feast of Weeks, seven times seven weeks, 49 days, plus the Sabbath, which is 50. And so they celebrate it on Pentecost, or the 50th day after Passover. All right. Uh, the birth of God's covenant holy people happened at Pentecost. That's on Mount Sinai when God declared the Ten Commandments. Do you remember that? We're going to read the verse in a minute. It's not necessarily when Moses got the clay tablets or those stone tablets, but God himself spoke all ten of the Ten Commandments to the whole nation of Israel from Mount Sinai, which is interesting. It's when the church was born and God spoke through the church in a heavenly language. What do we call it? Tongues. And all the people there heard them all in their own language. So again, God spoke at the birth of the church, supernaturally, and at the giving of the law. The clearest example of law versus spirit is this. Exodus 32, 28. When Moses came down with the tablets, what happened? This is after God spoke. The people said, hey, don't let God speak to us again. We're going to read the verse in a minute. 
And so Moses went up. God gave him the Ten Commandments. He came down, and what were the children of Israel doing? They were having an orgy around a golden calf, dancing, and and Moses broke the stones, remember, and and, uh, all of that. And what was the result of that orgy? Well, we know Exodus 32, 28. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed. They went out and slew slew the males that participated in this. And 3,000 men of the people died that day. That's at the giving of the law. Pentecost, the giving of the Spirit, Acts 2.41. So then when they had received his word, were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were saved. Isn't it interesting that God has these bookends? Man, the law brings death, but the Spirit brings life. Romans 8.3, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. All right, flesh or spirit? A lot of Christians are working out their salvation only in the flesh. Do you know any legalists? They really don't know God. They don't connect with God. They're never in the Spirit. In fact, maybe they even deny the Spirit. And we read about those. They hold to a form of godliness. Oh, sure, I go to church, pay my tithes. I do all these things. But there's no connection with God. What made God real to me when I was in high school and junior high was worship, worshiping God. I connected with God heart to heart in intimate worship. And it was so beautiful. It made God real. And then I studied academically, and it even became more real as I grew in my knowledge of the Lord. The law kills, but the Spirit gives life. And we know 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. <clears throat> you are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men being manifest that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in and of ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who is also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant and not of the letter of the law, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit does what gives life this morning, this Pentecost Sunday, I like to remind ourselves that we need to every day ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit to gift us with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 1. Now there is there therefore no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen. I got to tell you, a lot of Christians question if they're going to make it to heaven. You would be shocked and amazed all the emails and phone calls I get. Pastor, I feel like I've just sinned one too many times. How can God forgive me? And they begin to question their heart. Folks, we have an evil heart. We take every thought captive to obedience to Christ. Amen. We have to crucify our flesh. How often? Daily. We have to pick up our cross daily and follow Christ. Yeah, it's tough, but I can assure you we all make mistakes. We are all sinners, Paul included, the apostles included, and Christ paid for them all. Man. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, Romans 8, 4, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. I would encourage you this Pentecost Sunday, let's focus on the things of the spirit. I can assure you around you, there's going to be trials in life. And there's going to be tragedies and we're going to see probably horrible things politically and more shootings and who knows what out there. But our joy comes from the Lord, not from external circumstances. Our joy comes from Jesus Christ and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not how much money we get or if we lose our job or we have to move or we have to move our church to a smaller room, uh, you know, (laughs) 
<laughs> it is more intimate and cozy in here, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'm getting used to it. It's hard, though. So Shavuot, it's really interesting. At the first Pentecost, fire appeared over the mountain, and God's voice was heard by all. In fact, many rabbis believe everybody in the world heard God speaking in their language. What would we call that? Tongues. How do we know that? Here, turn to Acts chapter 2 really quick. Since it is Pentecost, it should be appropriate that we look at the very first sermon to the church and what happened here at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is what John the Baptist and Jesus Christ called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right, keep going. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. How do we know that these are not human tongues? Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men or of what? Angels. It's a heavenly language. You see, God gives the hearer the ability to hear the tongue. He doesn't give you the ability to speak their language. You're speaking a heavenly language. How else do we know it? We got to do it. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly the spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. By the way, do you, do you pray for that? Lord, speak through me to people I talk to. For note this, verse 2. For, for one who speaks in a tongue, listen to this, does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands. You see, tongues is a heavenly language. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, one page over, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, that's tongues, uh, what will a prophet? Okay, if I don't have love. Back to Acts chapter 2. Now here's where it gets really crazy. Verse 5, Acts 2, 5. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Do you think this was a diverse melting pot of people? You see, I believe the word of God. I don't question it. I'm a literalist. I believe there were literally people from every nation under heaven in Jerusalem at this time. Note this. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because here's the key. Because each one of them, that's everyone in the crowd from every nation, was hearing them, in, in the Greek, all speak in their own language. What did he just say? It would be if uh, you spoke uh, Hawaiian, what's it called? I forget the name of the language. Pigeon. pigeon. Yeah, if you spoke pigeon, you spoke peacock, Spanish, German, all of that, and I spoke in a tongue, God, you would all hear me. He would hear me in German. You would hear me in pidgin. You would hear me in Spanish. Does that make sense? God makes the hearer hear the language that is the universal heavenly language of angels. Isn't that amazing? Okay. I know a lot of scholars say, well, no, they, they were given the ability to speak Aramaic and uh, Hebrew and Greek and all of that. I, I don't see that in the Bible. Each one of them heard them all speak in their own language. It's a heavenly language. If you've ever heard tongues, it's not a human language. Have you heard tongues? It, it, it's, it's never a human language. Can God do that? Absolutely. But it's a heavenly language and it almost sounds the same. No matter where you are in the world, you can say, oh, they're speaking in tongues. I understand it. I can hear it. So at the giving of Pentecost, or yeah, the first Pentecost, fire appeared on the mountain. Everyone heard God's voice in their own language, the rabbis say. At the upper room, fire appeared above their heads, and God spoke through them, and all the people from every nation, that's what we just read in Acts, heard them all speaking in their own language. 
Isn't that amazing? Huh. Exodus 19, 17. This is when they all heard the voice of God. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai, skipping, or verse 18, was uh, all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and smoke ascended like the smoke of the furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. Then God spoke all these words, saying, Exodus 20, verse 1, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. But the people were afraid, so God then gives them the Ten Commandments. So they say in verse 19 of Exodus 20, They said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. It scared them to hear God's voice. They didn't want to hear it again. Exodus 20, 22, Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. God said, I spoke to the whole nation. All right. In both, people heard God's voice through a spiritual tongue in the book of Acts or through God's direct voice from heaven there. So 1 Corinthians 13, we looked at it. All right. All right. So we're sealed by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not water baptism. And let me just give you some verses. Mark chapter 1, verse 8. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you, speaking of Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.22, He who also sealed us and gave us a pledge, our guarantee, the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge or seal or guarantee. Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your Savior, having also believed, you were sealed in him with what? The Holy Spirit of promise. 2 Corinthians 5, 5. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Ephesians 4, 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. All right. Isn't it cool that at Pentecost, God sealed the people through the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Spirit baptism is not a work of the flesh. Water baptism is a work of the flesh. 1 Peter 3.21, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but in an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is water baptism that is the washing of the outer man. It is Holy Spirit baptism that is the washing and regeneration of the inner man. Man baptizes with water. Jesus Christ himself is the baptizer when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. All right. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit you were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter 11, verses 15 and 16. These are some Gentiles that he came upon. Remember, he said, when you believed, did you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? They said, we don't even know what that is. He laid hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Verse 17, Acts 11. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he has given to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Water baptism is mainly of the Old Covenant. Spirit baptism is of the New Covenant. Just like circumcision in the Old Covenant was of the flesh, circumcision in the New Covenant is what? Of the heart. Yeah, he cuts away the flesh from the heart. Water baptism represents the washing of the flesh. It was part of the ceremonial cleansing. Spirit baptism represents the washing of our soul. Now we are cleansed by the blood of Christ and sealed by the baptism of the Holy Spirit and empowered by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5 He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing baptism of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 6, 
whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The two Pentecosts, you can read about it in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 25. I would encourage you to read that later this afternoon as you think about Pentecost today. So the importance of Pentecost to the Jews, it's when the law was given. It's the most important gift from God. God spoke his law audibly to the whole nation, but they failed to obey, so there was really no hope for man. In fact, we read earlier, the law kills. To Christians on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is considered the greatest gift from God. Some of you would say, no, Jesus Christ is. But Jesus himself said, it's to your advantage I go away so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit put his law in our hearts and declared God's works through men baptized in the Spirit. So law versus Spirit uh, in Pentecost. Uh, And we already went through these, so we don't need to go through them again. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, 2, verse 28, it says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Remember, New Covenant, it's spiritual. Old Covenant, it's worked out in the flesh. New Covenant, don't hate. Old Covenant, don't murder. Are you with me? It's an inner working of the Spirit. Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent each one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God calls to himself. So when Paul talks about to live as Christians, we are in the Spirit, not in the flesh. We do it by God's power and gifting of the Holy Spirit that's given to each and every one of us. Amen? On this Pentecost Sunday, even as John, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 9, said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's when God spoke to him and revealed to him the book. We should constantly desire to be walking in the Spirit. Amen? All week long, during the week. Uh, Worship team, come on up. Pentecost. It's being filled with the power to face life's challenges. It's when you are weak, you can understand that God can give you strength. In fact, the promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. To be my witnesses, to be my ambassadors, to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. To be gifted by the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 14, it says, Pursue love, follow after it, but desire earnestly the spiritual gifts. I pray that this week we would desire that empowering that comes from God. Lord, give us strength for today to face any trial we face. Give us wisdom, which is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Give us love, which is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Lord, let us be children of yours that so walk nobly that people see your love in us that we're empowered by your holy spirit your word says if if we don't have the holy spirit just ask in fact the verse says if you being evil know how to give your kids good gifts how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to them that ask guess who he wrote that to disciples they already believed it wasn't to unbelievers he wrote that to and he said man do you lack that empowering do you lack that victorious awesome power of god in your life and the fruit of the spirit in your life just ask and if you being able know how to give good gifts man your heavenly father will abundantly give you the gift and empowering of the holy spirit like john had in the book of revelation Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. And God, I ask that you would fill each and every one of us here with the power of your Holy Spirit.
Lord, that we would have the fruit of your Holy Spirit in our lives and that when people look at us, they would see a child of God filled with strength and power and courage and your fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Strength in the storm. When we're clothed in that dunamis power from the Holy Spirit, the word dunamis in the Greek is where we get our word dynamite. That's some powerful stuff. That's what that Holy Spirit power is. It's based on God's provision and empowering, not our own ability. In the midst of any storm, we must remember, cease from striving in the flesh and walk in the Spirit. Be still and know that I am God. Amen. Let's sing the song to the Lord. If um, you need prayer, we'll be out there. Oh, by the way, Martin Luther, I got to get a Martin Luther quote in there. said, prayer is a strong wall and a fortress of the church. It is a goodly Christian weapon. Remember, to get the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you have to be a man or woman of prayer. I encourage you, find time to pray this week. Find time to spend alone with the Lord this week. And restores my soul, satisfies my need. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve Him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. I love your word. I love the way it comforts me. Strengthens and restores my soul. Satisfies my needs.